This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. This is Corrie Davidson's second week with us. Be sure to catch up on the podcast if you've missed last week's session. Corrie is a clinical social worker for the past 30 years or so. She specializes in addiction, codependency, trauma, and relationship counseling. She still journeys with those struggling with addictions, hurts, hang-ups, and habits they struggle to shake off. And she also works with partners of addicts and sees them as a couple as well. Yeah, thank you very much. We're very, very welcome again, Corrie. And, um, thank you. Yeah, last week we, we started speaking about the, the fact that just a year ago, our national lockdown over a year ago started in South Africa, and we mentioned how that uh, affected our emotional well-being and uh, even sometimes our physical well-being, our economic well-being, and how that affected our partners, our spouses, and the wider families uh, around us, our children and our parents and so forth. So um, what have you seen uh, in your practice? What are some of the... Uh, the trends that have you've noticed during this time of the pandemic? Especially with families. Yeah, with regards to families, yeah. Yeah, I think families really took strain and mm. parents took strain. They were often at home working from home or maybe having lost their jobs. Mm. And the kids are also at home. They were not at school. Mm. So suddenly there's a tremendous amount of pressure on the parents um, in terms of the structure of the day, uh, in terms of childcare, um, and the, of course the worries about schooling and um, many, I mean mostly, parents had to do the double role of both being working and doing schooling at home. I think it was especially a stressful time mm. for families. And on top I, of I that, feel, if I may just mention something I yes, remember yes. now, on top of that, as you were talking about that, uh, the the grief and the stress of people getting ill, especially in the second wave, when we yes. often heard about families that, or maybe friends that passed away, and and the fear that I experienced from children uh, asking their parents and maybe family members that passed away. So that was an added emotional burden and and struggle for families to know how to go about, and maybe even a mom that uh, immediate family members that passed away. Right, I think the second wave, we don't know what's ahead for us, but the second wave definitely brought it much more closer for families when some, um, uh, you more often heard about family members who died, a grandmother, or people really, or, or even people, uh, children getting a, um, mm. COVID. So uh, it, it suddenly it, it came closer and closer. And I um, think it's so important for families to talk about mm. um, the emotions and the uncertainty that we all live in. We don't always need to have all the answers, but to at least acknowledge the uncertain times. Mm. Um, and also the faith in that, um, but we know that this too shall pass. Mm. We know that mm. we have faced many things um, as a family maybe or as a human race and we need to then model something of that hope and the knowledge of 
that things will turn again. Mm. I think that's one of the important things that parents can do at this stage because children are incredibly resilient, but mm. they need the they need to know it is safe. They need to know it's oh, even in the unknown that we will be okay. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I, th- I totally relate to what you were saying that uh, the second wave brought the COVID nineteen. A pandemic much closer to us and often it was said uh, by people that uh, numbers have now become names and so yeah. that you can start naming people Yaku or David or whatever Philip um, my friend my good friend uh, that was in ministry whatever uh, so it become names and and I think very often we don't ha- take the time to grieve. Mm. Um, and it's not only the grieving of the losses of a loved one, but some people have lost jobs. Uh, mm. Some people have lost half of their income. Some people have lost the freedom that they have had before to move around. So we need to grieve. And plans, things that they look forward to that they couldn't do anymore. Hey? Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of kiddies that just started School, mm. uh, or, or university students that had to go to their first year mm. who have lost uh, that experience uh, or let's say the normality uh, and now have to go back and experience. Uh, I found that with some kids they were quite high anxiety mm. and at some stage that they were really getting so comfortable at home that they didn't. They fear moving out again. Mm. Um, and so yes, we, we as parents have to really guide um into these unknown places and help form the bridges for them to be able to... to go. I remember with, with one family I recommended that before the child went back to school that the parents just took him there to see this is the rugby field, mm. this is where my classroom is, yes, everything is still here, just to alleviate some of the anticipatory anxiety. Mm. We're talking um, about different stages of the pandemic, hey, and mm, certain times mm. of grief and then times of going back because it's an ongoing yeah. time. It's a year already. So in this yeah. time, we've, we've yeah. all gone through many different phases um, mm, of the mm, pandemic. Is mm. mm. there a similarity maybe that we can also just mention here, and that is the importance of talking. We, uh, in our families, mm. Often we don't talk about um, stuff that's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and it may include things like addiction. We think the children are too young. We don't mm-hmm. want to burden them. Um, whilst many times the children have actually heard things, or they've picked up on an energy. They don't know exactly what it is, but they know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that is actually what causes anxiety. It's better if the child gets the opportunity to talk about the unknown or uh, if we can clarify, yes, you've probably seen mommy sleeping more often. She's feeling very lethargic. She's really fine and she doesn't have energy. Then the child knows, mm. okay, so this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, very important that we just get words to help and to acknowledge to the children this is not normal times or this is not what we are used to. Yes, or, talk about um, the elephant in the room because that's sometimes exactly. what we don't do. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I think very important what you are saying, uh, Corey, is also that it's age-related. Mm. In other words, you mm. want to share in the same way with your preschooler or pre-primary child and then what you would share with your university-going uh, mm. child. 
Um, but I think the very, very important thing is to talk and um, to talk in such a way that it builds the relationship and not break it down. And it brings less anxiety and stress mm. and not bring more anxiety and stress. Mm. And to acknowledge yeah. their fears. Mm. I think so, yeah. so many parents want to protect. And then when a child has got a fear, they say, no, 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 that's not, that's nothing. You shouldn't worry yeah, about don't that. Feel that. Don't feel that. It, yeah, don't mm. feel that. Yeah. Instead of acknowledging and normalizing a lot of the struggles that, that kids would go through. Are there other things that you find that families uh, can do to, uh, to help uh, resiliency, to build that in their families? Um, you know, like with a coupleship, I find that if the family has a little project that they do and they all become part of it, to a greater or lesser degree, whether it is that we are going to build a treehouse during this pandemic or we're going to do this little task, but we're all going to have benefits because of that. It must be something that everybody is getting excited about. Mm. That's very important because that's also investing in the future that's still coming. Mm. Um, again, the hope, the hope that um, there is life out there. We're going to get there. Mm. Um, very important. Um, yeah, um, I, I was just thinking of um, this age-appropriate thing to also allow the kids to ask questions mm. once, once given them some basic information um, so that one can hear where they are at. You know, there's that joke, and I'll just quickly tell it, that where the boy says, Mom, where do I come from? Mom then says, oh, my gosh, here we are, the bees <laughs> and the flowers. And she tells the whole story, and the little boy bursts out, crying and, and she says why are you crying and he said because my friend is coming from Joburg <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and so we can mm. miss really mm. what is really what the child is asking Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I like what you're saying with regards to the project, um, uh, Corey. Uh, you know, project together as a family. Um, you know, many families may not even have the space to build something like a, a treehouse or maybe not even a tree in the mm. yard. But it doesn't have to be a complicated mm. project that uh, we are they, that they are doing together. Suka and I have um, received some uh, a, a project to do uh, that's going to be very good for us, and that is to make a collage of collage. our relationship. Mm. Mm. And uh, uh, so also the family can you know take all the old magazines that are lying around in the in the house and and build a collage mm. of uh, what they would. What is on their heart mm. uh, and so forth, mm. and make something very creative from something very simple. Mm. Mm. And I'm also thinking. I know when our kids were still young, we we had these wonderful reading times. You know that yeah. we would do a certain book at a certain time that everybody enjoyed, and we often did that on the way on holidays. But of course, this is not appropriate now because pandemics. They wouldn't be able to travel, but lately people can travel. So we had this thing that we were always doing stories that everybody enjoyed listening to. So there are so many things a person can do as it, points it, of connection. Mm. It's, it's back to basics, hey, mm. and back to, back to anything that is connecting and is age-appropriate connecting. Mm. Um, mm. Okay, it's time to take a short break. We're going to be back after the music. 
Yeah, thank you for being with us again, Corey. And, you know, we were talking about families uh, before the break and how the pandemic has influenced families. And then some of the families, the parents are actually... Um, involved in some one of the parents in addictions and the other with other issues and hang-ups. So I've often heard it saying that the best gift parents can give to their children is to show and demonstrate that they love each other, that they are committed to each other and that they are going to stay together. Because I think one of the greatest fears children have is that their Mm. parents will separate or divorce and that they have actually caused it. Um, what are some of your mm. thoughts on this? Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting how children, um, because their worldview is so limited, the, 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 the initial thing is that I have done something mm. wrong, mm. or if I would make it easier, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. Uh, and, of course, the child that acts out um, and becomes the black sheep of the family is really saying, Look, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Uh, you guys are not the problem. Mm. I uh, look how bad I'm, I, I mm. am, and they really take the attention away from the primary problem that may be in the family. Say, for instance, with addiction. Mm. So, um, yeah, um, I, I want to add to what you say, Frederick, um, that the best gift we can give our children is our own recovery and then yes. for the addict and mm. for the partner because mm. unfortunately life is not always as we want it mm. and we get the situation where maybe the addict is not ready for recovery or, um, or it's so far down the lane and then the, the so-called um, healthy parent, the, the healthy partner is the one that that really needs to demonstrate and um, and show the manifest word, all the positive things, and that's quite a burden. Mm. But if that parent at least can can be the healthy parent and show recovery behaviour, that is something that the children will take with them throughout their whole life. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, each p- partner needs to do. Their, their individual recovery so mm. that they can get to the joint recovery. Mm, at this program, we often talk about um, addicts and then partners of addicts. And unfortunately, we found often in our own um, journey of recovery that it's often the, the addict that thinks that there's a problem with them and then the partner would tell the addict to go and get help. Mm. But the partner would not realize that that person also needs help. Unfortunately, there have been uh, often been unhealthy patterns that are developed in the relationship. And like we always say, it takes two to tango. <laughs> and uh, so to actually participate in this healthy dance of the relationship or the maybe not so healthy dance of the relationship. So um, how do you want to respond to this? Yeah, you know, I think it's especially for the partner and it can be the man or the woman who are married to the addict very difficult to make that um, adjustment to to look at self because we call it the IP the identified patient is so clearly the person with a problem mm. and often the partner feels I have done so much already what else do you want from me I, mm. I barely keep my head above water so 
it's it's difficult in that moment then to realize that I have to come to my own assistance. Mm. Mm. Especially if my partner is still in active addiction. That um, I can't build more and more resentment. Um, I need to come to my own assistance. And of course, that's where the 12-step program comes in both for the addict and the non-addict. Mm. Mm. And it's interesting because I think many people are well known with the 12 steps for addicts and don't always mm. realize that there are several step groups or groups that are also for partners of addicts like Al-Anon, yeah. friends, and, friends and family of those who struggle with alcohol, um, yeah. um, S-Anon. Yes, mm. narcotics are anonymous. Um, what is it like, friends? Uh, mm. I, I don't know what you know. Of drugs, of yeah, drug addicts, right, right. and uh, COSA for mm. co-addicts mm. of sex yeah. addiction right. uh, and so forth. And yeah. if I could just say something there, it's also in our relationship we often share because we shared our story here in the beginning and many people know about that, um, that I think a lot of the 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 best work, uh, the best growth in our relationship came when I realized that I also had a role to play. And I remember, just like you said, I was very frustrated in 2016 because our recovery actually started in 2010 already, but with lots mm. of therapists and going to groups and everything. Didn't know about the 12 steps, really. Didn't really know about mm -hmm. that. And 2016, I really felt on my heart that I had to go to a 12-step program. And I, I felt so upset about it because I tried to get away from it. But this feeling just didn't want to go away. And uh, it was such an important part of my recovery because it's only then when I really started looking at my part in the relationship and a lot of the big breakthroughs we had in our relationship was after I I started and I started looking at myself and stopped looking at my poor addict husband or, or I used to be an addict. It was a recovery addict. But anyway... <laughs> Mm. So, Frederick, I don't know if you want to respond to that. Yeah, mm. I, I think this is something that uh, we we can speak about uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, there's a term that uh, is used amongst counselors and so forth. It's called codependency. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that was an issue. Um, so some people may not understand it. codependency is when you want to fix or help or, or care for or mm -hmm. rescue your partner. Um, uh, jumping in somewhere where actually is not your responsibility, and uh, so uh, we uh, we were actually co codependents. Uh, both of Suki and I were codependents, and trying to rescue each other. And uh, we were not really working at our own recovery and looking at ourselves and how to recover and to restore. Uh, what has been stolen by our character defects and our old patterns uh, coming from our families of origin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is so good about the 12 steps um, is that it is for everybody. Anybody mm -hmm. can make use of it. All you need to do is the willingness to investigate that and the willingness to look for that help. And it's free of charge. Mm -hmm. um, people usually make a little donation. They have an opportunity if they would want to make a donation at the meetings. But uh, we really need this. is a huge resource. And for the partner, to, and for the addict, for that matter, to just sit in a room and suddenly they meet their tribe. They meet people that speak their 
language that understand what they've been going through and that have hope for recovery, mm. um, irrespective of what's happening to my addicted partner. That, um, that is a huge new way of shifting because by the time people reach out to the 12-step program, they have usually tried a lot of stuff mm. and uh, it didn't work. It, it, it didn't work and, and it made them hopeless and helpless and full of despair. Mm. because they're trying harder and harder and nothing is changing. Mm. And then to, to meet a program and meet other fellow travelers who are with them on the road and that say, listen, start with yourself because mm. when you change, there will be a ripple effect. Mm. But you don't change. Um, you change for that empowering and for the healing for yourself because there's so much trauma that came with mm. addiction. Mm. Mm. And, and that's exactly where the safe space is, because mm. each of the people in that uh, support group, no matter what fellowship or what type of support group it is, um, they accept. They do not judge. Mm. They love unconditionally. It doesn't matter what story you say. They are not shocked because many of them have already gone through the same things and done the same crazy, insane things. And all they do is they say, we, we know we've been there. And it becomes a very, very safe space. And what I also heard you saying, Corey, is how both the addict and the partner of the addict need to take care of themselves. Um, could you tell us a little bit more of about that self-nurture and self-care? Because yeah, I know that was one of my greatest struggles to take care of myself and nurture myself as the addict. Yeah, um, the partner usually feel I can't let go of my addicted partner because then he or she will go down and it will be the end of the relationship. Mm. But the reality is that by holding on, we are drowning together. Mm, and mm. so there is this healthy detachment that needs to happen, not not loving, yes. but detaching from the problem, mm. detaching from the alcoholism or the eating disorder or the gambling that is controlling my life and my family's life. And those are the, the concepts that we need to work with, and that's when the self-care comes in. Mm. What does it mean to care for myself in this and not be preoccupied and controlled by the disease the other mm. person may have and may be active in. Of course, once the partner starts getting, the addicted partner starts getting some to, to, to grips with some of the recovery concepts, there is quite a release that can happen, and it mm. um, both can work together. Then that's when we start working together. Um, but initially, we need to each do our mm. own recovery mm. work because that will take us to the next step. Yes, mm. yes. And then also, just to get back to the, the self-care again, it's like detaching from the situation, attaching to oneself, attuning to oneself, hey, and see what mm. do I need mm. apart from what is happening here to, so that I can sustain this journey, so that I can continue along this journey, so that I don't get too tired or too over-emotional. And yes. like you said, then we continue yes. to drown together. Yeah. yeah, that is so important. For the partners, we say there's the three Cs. You, you haven't caused this, mm. you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Mm. And it, it sounds such an easy recipe, but it's a huge step to really, truly, truly know that you haven't caused it, 
you can't control it and you can't cure it. Mm. Especially the last one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can love my partner and more and then, yeah, there will be recovery. But it doesn't work like that. Corrie, do you have some final words for us as we getting to the car? We want to conclude this program. Just maybe mm. encouragement. Um. Yes, I think the, uh, the relationship with self, the relationship with others, the relationship with our God, these things are there's that, that um, rope with the three cords that's tied in together. Mm. And when we attend to each of these aspects, we can get a very strong rope, mm. um, like the one that they use for the big tankers and ships that can really hold that um, and um, anchor it so that we don't uh, go adrift and land up on the rocks. Absolutely. And then also, like you say, the connection with God, because I know in the steps mm. there's a specific thing saying, I'm powerless, I cannot do this. Only God can help me and he can and and that's the beginning and as we continue with those three ropes that you're talking about thank you so much thank you so much for being with us cory and we look forward to maybe even speaking to you again in the future um, so listeners maybe you tuned in a little bit late and you want to hear what was said in the podcast uh, you can listen on the podcast uh, at uh, kpulpit.co.za and uh, send your remarks questions uh, comments to our email address, Frederick Suki, uh, F R E D E R I K S O E K I E, Fred Suki at kpulpit.co.za. Till next time. Goodbye. Bye. Hierdie insetsel is aan jou gebring dier Radio Kaapse Kansel op 729 AM. Besoek ons gerus op www.kaapsekansel.co.za 